Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery, and I'm excited to have Liam Martin, uh, who's a co-founder of Time Doctor Staff and Running Remote, which are businesses that help marketers and entrepreneurs work more efficiently and with more independence. Welcome to the show, Liam. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate you having me here. And uh, I'm excited to be able to get into what I think is probably the biggest subject that we need to talk to talk about today, which is uh, remote work and really where it's going. Because I think the last two and a half years have been pretty exciting for remote work. I think the next two and a half years are going to be even more exciting. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I totally agree. I've been a fan of remote work uh, since my since my days at working at startups. Uh, yeah, and you know, I, I wanted to understand what's what's your backstory and how did you start with Time Doctor and running remote? What what drove you into building these companies? Sure. So about seventeen years ago, I was in grad school at McGill University in Montreal, Canada, which is where I actually ended up returning. I am now currently still in Montreal. And I was uh, teaching a class at McGill. And I ended up actually starting with about 300 students. I came back with less than 200 by the end of the semester and the worst academic reviews in the history of the department. I went to my supervisors and I, and I said, I don't think I'm very good at this. And they said, no, you are not. And I said, okay, so what do you think I should do? And he said, well, you've got to get pretty good at this teaching stuff over the next 10 to 20 years if you want to actually do anything fun. So six weeks later, I threw a master's thesis under his door, which I am looking at right now. It's behind my camera. And I was out into the real world. And that started my first remote business, which was an online tutoring business. And ended up running that for a few years uh, with relative success. But the problem inside of that business was trying to account for two people doing work remotely and measuring the amount of time that one person worked for another person on a particular task. So a student would be billed for 10 hours. The student wouldn't come back to me and say, I worked with my tutor for five hours, not 10 hours. I'd go to the tutor and say, hey, what's the issue here? He said, I worked with him for 10. I'd end up having to refund the student for five hours and pay the tutor for the full 10 hours. This was destroying the business because I ended up losing money on the deal. And my now co-founder, Rob Rawson, who's the CEO of the company, uh, approached me about 12 years ago about this little alpha that he was calling Time Doctor because he was actually a medical doctor. So that's where the name came from. And it could very easily solve my core problem. So we built that company uh, over the last 12 and a half, 13 years, about five years ago. We really were trying to figure out how to build and scale our company. So not just be a quote unquote lifestyle business. I know a lot of VCs, that's a nice way of saying that you have a tiny little business that's worthless. Uh, we got that a lot just because we were remote. And frankly, remote companies today anyways, are some of the fastest growing companies on the planet. Well, five years ago, that wasn't the case. It was very, very small group of people that were working remotely. And I thought, let's put together a conference specifically about building and scaling effectively tech unicorns, but doing it remotely. Did that in 2017, uh, grew the company over the last five to six years to the point in which 
May 17th and 18th in Montreal, Canada, we are actually coming back to our very first in-person conference after two and a half years of virtual hiatus, which I'm pretty excited about. So, super interesting, you know, uh, uh, interesting to know you've been building start, uh, companies for such a long time. Uh, you know, you know, before the call, you, you talked about Toby, uh, who's the CEO of Shopify. Uh, you know, uh, how did you get to meet uh, Toby and, you know, uh, and you know, sure. what, yeah, what, what did he bring across to the Canadian tech ecosystem? So I think Toby is probably one of the cornerstones of the Canadian tech industry. And a lot of people don't know that because Toby's very quiet. He's a very, very quiet guy. Uh, when, when he steps into a room, uh, well, I'll, I'll, come, I'll come, I'll bring you back to this other story that I had about Toby, which I think is fantastic. I remember... Uh, eight years ago, seven years ago, this is before Shopify was really big, but not many people know that Shopify has been running for like almost 20 years. <laughs> it's actually a really long running yeah. e-commerce company. Uh, and when you think about, oh yeah, well, Shopify, this big company. Yeah. It took time uh, to be able to build that out. You know, you're not built, you're not going to a billion dollar valuation in a year, like a lot of the current unicorns are doing, but he was in the back of the room and there was this presentation talking about how Canada was a really great place to build $100 million companies. And then Toby put his hand up in the back and he said, what about a billion dollar company? And I remember about 20 or 30 people kind of snickering, like laughing at him, um, at his expense anyways. It didn't wave, He didn't waver at all. He just asked his question, really challenged the guy, and nobody's laughing now. Um, Shopify is one of the largest tech companies in the world. I think it's actually going to be a very long-term successful company that's not just going to win e-commerce, but is going to win commerce in general. And I think a large part of that is due to Toby as the CEO of the company the way that he looks at problems is um, he looks at people like they're a uh, like they're a puzzle to try to solve, which is uh, very odd if you don't necessarily know the way that his mind works. But he's really just very direct about the way that he communicates. And now uh, Shopify is remote. They've shut shut they have shut down the vast majority of their offices, so uh, all of those employees work from home. Yeah, no, no, I think Shopify, uh, along with a lot, lot of other, you know, SaaS companies, we talked about Hootsuite, uh, QuickBooks, a lot, lot of great SaaS companies coming out of Canada. But, but obviously, you know, I've, I've built a direct-to-consumer brand. I used to use Shopify, uh, you know, selling, selling products uh, in, in the U.S. And I think Shopify was, was absolutely great. Uh, you, you know, coming back to uh, your experience when you were building Time Doctor, uh, was there any other company which were doing something similar to Time Doctor uh, and you know what, what 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 were your thoughts when you were trying to uh, trying to build a company where you were tracking time for other companies? Mm -hmm. Well, so there were a couple companies that were doing what was close to us. I would probably say the biggest competitor was a company called Odesk, which merged into a company called Upwork with another company, Elance yep. and Odesk ended up merging and turning into Upwork, which is what probably most people would know today. Yep. 
as one of the leaders in the kind of remote work two-sided marketplace. And that technology was, um, was a simple time tracker, but all it did was take random screenshots of someone's computer while they were working for them. And we didn't necessarily think that that was all that productive. Um, so there was really no point to just taking random screenshots. It was very difficult to actually figure out whether or not someone was working. And it was actually also very easy to spoof that software. So a lot of people would just build applications to be able to feed those random screenshots to the computer and say you're doing 20 hours of work when in reality you got something done in five. Mm. So that was our biggest um, competitor. And it was also very expensive, right? So you would be charged 10, 15, 20% for uh, working with someone on Upwork and you could pay $10 per user per month and use our technology instead. There was a couple other companies, um, Rescue Time, is yeah. still a company that exists today. Sure. And it's primarily for the individual consumer market. We actually initially thought that Time Doctor would be a really good tool for individual productivity. And it was designed with that in mind. Interesting. And we still have a couple thousand users that use the application for their own personal productivity, but it accounts for one to 2% of overall revenue. So if we had gone in that direction as a business, we probably would have been relatively successful, but nowhere near where we are today. Interesting. And was time tracking the, the most important component that you were concerned of? The bigger part for us is there were plenty of time trackers in the market, but there were very few time trackers that also looked at website and application usage. And so that was our big evolution in the market. And now what we do is a lot of machine learning to be able to analyze specifically how to improve your overall productivity throughout your workday. So if you're a sales rep, as an example, you do an integration with HubSpot, and then we would be able to tell you, well, you actually are closing a lot of deals and um, here's why you're doing it in comparison to all the other salespeople that are on the Time Doctor platform. So we use a lot of machine learning in the background to be able to give you those insights to say, you should spend less time on the phone or you should spend more time updating your CRM, or maybe you actually need to hire a sales engineer to be able to handle all of your CRM work because you're spending too much time in your CRM and you should be closing more deals. Hmm, interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you built this company first remote uh, when, you know, wasn't even, even heard about, but, uh, what what drove you to you know keep your company remote, and you know how how things different you know say ten years back uh, when it wasn't so widespread to keep a company remote to to mm. now when you know because of COVID which was such an inflection point where everybody had to be remote. Uh, what what are differences you've seen you know in a decade's time? Uh, it's been really fun, by the way, uh, watching this entire thing happen because. COVID, which was horrible, um, there is a bit of a silver lining inside of COVID, which is effectively everyone on planet Earth has at least gotten a taste of remote work, at least if you work from a computer. In February of 2020, 4% of the US workforce was working remotely. And by March, 45% of the US workforce was working remotely. That's the biggest shift since the Industrial Revolution. But the Industrial Revolution took 80 years and we did that in March. So it was a complete transition and more stuff happened in the month of March than probably happened in the last decade and a half 
to remote work. So in terms of the big changes that have really happened, I think the biggest one that I can take that I can look at right now. And it's really the basis of the book that I wrote for the last year and a half is when I studied all of the pre-pandemic remote first companies, they all managed people in a very different way from the vast majority of people that are currently managing remote first companies or what I, I lovingly call these people pandemic panickers, the people that just had to switch to remote very quickly <laughs> um, in a panic. And the difference is asynchronous management. So most remote first companies do not actually actively communicate with their team members anywhere near as much as team members that work inside of an office a hybrid relationship, or even the vast majority of newly remote companies, because they believe that synchronous communication and collaboration increases their overall productivity. But remote companies have realized it is the reverse that is true. Uh, interesting. And, uh, you know, you, you were also running uh, the, the running remote event, mm -hmm. right? And uh, were you doing it virtually, uh, or you know, were you? Is it was it like a physical event where you go to Bali or you know, do such sorts? Yeah, of it was a physical event. Uh, and our first two events were actually in Bali, Indonesia, and we yeah. we loved having that community there. We ran the largest conference on remote work in uh, 2019. We oh. had about 750 people in oh. in Bali. And that was the biggest conference on remote work. And, uh, you know, and that community as well was so passionate about remote work and so tied in to what remote work was and how to get a lot more freedom out of working remotely. And now we're in this quasi-emergency remote work period. I think we're actually moving to working from home, then we went to, uh, or sorry, working from the office to working from home. It's not really remote work. So both working from the office and from home are both places and remote work is where you get to take your work with you. You can work from the office, you can work from home, you can work from a co-working space, a coffee shop, you can work from a beach somewhere, you can be a digital nomad if you really want to. It just allows you the freedom and autonomy to be able to do whatever you want and focus on deep work as opposed to necessarily being on Zoom calls eight hours a day. And I think there's actually a lot of damage that's currently happening inside of the remote work community where they're not recognizing that, hey, this is what you've currently been doing over the last two years. It's work from home. It's not actually remote work. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing instructions and making your days calmer and more productive, you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Interesting. Um, so, um, so, you know, a couple of interesting things you, you, you talked about, uh, uh, but, but do you think Becoming a digital nomad or working from anywhere, I think the biggest hurdle could be the internet, you know, because mm -hmm. the internet connection in, in say, Southeast Asia and some of, some of the countries is not, not that great. And that is what, you know, 
uh, restricts people from from moving. Uh, other could be like the weather. Uh, may, maybe it's uh, it's there for uh, some of the Western world countries, but not not for everyone. Uh, but mm-hmm. but what were your learnings over the last few years, where you would have worked across across geographies, across countries? Yeah. So I think when you work in, we have team members in forty three different countries, and mm-hmm. when you work that distributed across so many different time zones you have to actually work asynchronously. So you can't actively get everyone on a Zoom call at the same time. It doesn't work. Yeah, right. So it's a, it was a forcing function for the remote first community pre-pandemic that wanted to have distributed workforces to say, well, how do we actually manage teams this way, right? The control, the restriction was, I want to be able to build a company, but I can't talk to anyone in that company. How do I do it? And that's really what bore out of what I'm calling asynchronous management and the ability to be able to manage people without necessarily interacting with them face-to-face. I mean, other just general restrictions were 15 years ago, the internet didn't really have the same infrastructure that it has today in the vast majority of locations. Even today, uh, I had to, there's a, obviously there's a horrible conflict happening in Ukraine right now. And, um, we got a, a Starlink satellite dish sent to one of our team members in Ukraine. Oh. And with a generator um, and a couple solar panels, this guy is effectively off the network, right? He can get unfiltered internet from Elon Musk as, as much as he wants for as long as he wants. And I think the next year, we're probably going to see just something like Starlink completely solve the connection issue for anyone on planet earth that can afford $50 per month. And even though that's probably quite expensive for some people, for the vast majority of digital nomads, that's effectively a rounding error. And I think we're going to see um, many, many more digital nomads pop up. Pre-pandemic, we had 5 million. Current projections are that we have about 50 million. And I think over the next couple of years, we're probably gonna see a quarter of a billion digital nomads pop up uh, probably before the end of the decade. That's that's super super interesting, and uh, uh, and do you think there's 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 a, you know certain regions or countries where you know it, it becomes easier to to become a digital nomad or uh, you know you know, for example to, to start a company you have examples of Estonia or Canada uh, which have you know right. run all these programs yeah right? Estonia is a really great one um, if I had it in front of me I don't think I have it but. I have e-residency from Estonia, which ended up costing me 50 euros. And it allows me to set up a corporation bank, bank there, um, you know, open up a, um, a, uh, a Stripe account. But but are are you allowed to live there? So you're not allowed to live there based off of your e-residency. However, Estonia now has a digital nomad visa. That's an 18 month visa for 2000 euros. So oh, it allows wow. you to live there, work there. Um, you can't, I think you can own property if you're a foreigner in Estonia. So effectively you're set uh, and you can renew that at Infinum um, on that 18 month visa. There are, I think I did a video on this on our YouTube channel. I think there are 67 countries now that offer some level of digital nomad visa. So the world is kind of perking up to this concept, which is, wow, this is like a tourist on steroids. This is yeah. someone that comes into the country, doesn't consume any government services, stays there for months, 
goes, you know, gets a co-working space subscription, gets an Airbnb, you know, uh, stays at Airbnb, stays at hotels, consumes a whole bunch of food, doesn't actually consume any government services, no education, nothing like that. And then they just leave. Um, it's honestly the best deal <laughs> for a, for a government that you could possibly think of. And they're just recognizing that this is a much bigger source of income than the regular uh, tourism industry. Mm. So I'm pretty excited to be able to see that popping up with regards to locations. Um, a lot of places throughout Southeast Asia are really good. So Indonesia, well, not Indonesia, Bali specifically is really yeah. good. Uh, I wouldn't go outside. I wouldn't go anywhere else inside of Indonesia. Um, Thailand is really good. Uh, I used to say Hong Kong was good. Not anymore. Uh, it's too restrictive. Um, Shenzhen, by the way, is one of the best places that you could possibly go. And I just wouldn't necessarily suggest that you go there anymore. Um, Barcelona is a really good spot. Um, plenty of places down in Central America. Tulum is a really new hotspot, but I actually prefer Playa del Carmen. That's about 45 minutes north of Tulum in Mexico. Costa Rica, the entire country is fantastic, amazing internet, really nice people and great food. Um, you basically should just, you know, there are so many lists uh, of digital nomad hotspots. Just Google it and you can go to a place that if you're in a Western country right now, probably costs one quarter of what you're currently paying or less and has better food, better lifestyle and the same internet connection. Hmm. Interesting. And, uh, and is it true for you that you, you also move around uh, in these countries or do you, do, you, do you like to station yourself in say <clears throat> Montreal or Toronto? <laughs> so I, I'm what I'm, I'm what you would call a slow nomad. Uh, uh, so I travel about three to six months out of the year when it's not COVID. Uh, and I usually just choose one location. So okay. whether it's um, like Playa del Carmen. Uh, uh, well, you know, there was a, there was a tough one that I did just, just be right before COVID, which was uh, Cairo. And um, that was quite difficult. So I ended up, it was very, very tough to find reliable internet. And then I found out the secret. And again, this just reinforces that you should be speaking to locals mm. and recognizing what, how they work. No one works from wired internet in Cairo. They all work from their tethers because they get better internet connection from the mobile network than they do from the, uh, the wired network. And I was trying to do Zoom calls and I was constantly failing and I would pop in and out because I wasn't getting, I, maybe I got close to like five up and like two down or sorry, two, two up and, and like five down uh, with a really bad ping. And then when you tether off your cell, it's very quick and easy. And it costs about two euros for 50 gigs per month. So it was very easy for, I was streaming Netflix yeah. <laughs> off of my phone, which is the first time I've ever done that. And I would kind of feel a little naughty because at least in Canada, that would cost you exponentially more money. Was it? Oh, I didn't know this. Interesting. And, mm. uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the running remote event, you know, you used to, uh, you, you transparent enough to put your expenses and revenues over there. Uh, is there any reason for that? Or do you think more companies should, should do, uh, be such transparent and share, uh, you know, with the panel? I, I, I know Buffer does it and I'm a big fan of Joel and how he does it, but, but, but do you think, uh, what, what was your thought process and, you know, being so transparent? I was, 
I was convinced. So Joel speak at the very first running remote conference Mm -hmm. and he talked about his concept of radical transparency. So we have a culture of internal radical transparency inside Mm -hmm. of the organization, which is theoretically everyone should have the same informational advantage as the CEO of the company when they join the company. So they get access to, uh, we use chart mobile, uh, for our, um, for our SAS metrics, as an example, everyone gets access to that. We get people get access to the quarterly PLs. You know, how are the numbers going? Uh, how are we growing? What are our customers? Um, no door should be closed. The only one that we do keep closed, which Buffer opens, is uh, salaries of employees. It's the only yeah. thing that we keep um, internal. And everything else, we try to make sure that you have that same informational advantage to the CEO. It provides an environment where, number one, the employee feels significantly more trusted, saying, oh, well, I know everything that the CEO knows, so that puts me in a real situation of trust. But also, when difficult decisions need to be made, like we need to cut this department back by 25%, everyone knows that that was the right decision, or at least they agree with you because they have the same information in front of you. And then if people disagree, we pay attention (laughs) and we say, well, maybe we made the wrong decision here because everyone has the same information as us. And um, they, they quite possibly are right here. Maybe we shouldn't reduce this department by 25%. Mm, Interesting. And uh, does this work for all the three companies that you're part of? Uh, Yes, exactly. And so with running remote, we've taken, I was inspired with Time Doctor. We'd already built a company where, and we talked about this beforehand, when you lead the market in a particular category, it's not super, <laughs> it's not super useful to be disclosing all of your numbers. We have a we have an eight-figure run rate as a SaaS business. We're we're doing quite well. Obviously, COVID allowed us to be able to, to be able to accelerate our growth quite quickly, particularly for an eight-figure company that's um that was that was welcome because once you get up to that level, it's a lot more difficult to be able to get growth. But then for running remote, since it was the very first year, I thought to myself, you know what? I'm just going to publish everything. So mm-hmm. we just published the PL. And it's actually been super helpful for a lot of conferences because they've come to us. And I mean, there are people that download our PLs that um, have nothing to do about remote work whatsoever, but they just run online events or they run physical conferences and they want to figure out what the actual costs and line items are. Hmm. Interesting. And uh, uh, I, I wanted to understand, you know, uh, you, 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 got a, you talked about a running remote uh, a book, which is going to come out uh, mm-hmm. in August. Uh, what was the entire process of writing the book? Because, you know, you, you've been a, you, you're running three different companies. You, you also do, uh, uh, your podcast interviews, you do your YouTube, uh, you also have your own family, but uh, how do you how do you get the time to write a book and why why do you want to write a book and you know uh, what was the, the entire concept around? Yeah, uh, you smoke a lot of weed and make sure <laughs> that I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah, you don't do that. You actually that's probably going to be incredibly unproductive for your time. Uh, the uh, So at least for me, I think that um, becoming really focused on where you're putting your time is is the way that I manage everything. So I've got um, 
I break down my day with my calendar. That's okay. uh, by far the most successful way, in my opinion, in, in my experience, to be able to manage my time. Uh, so I I work my calendar like I work a to do list, okay. and it allows me to be able to timestamp things. So I, as an example, just today, I um, and again, this is me just being open and honest with people. Our operations person had to quit uh, for running remote, and running remote is in seven weeks. Uh, so not the best position. And it wasn't necessarily, it was just a really bad situation for her. Uh, she ended up having a family member that became quite ill. So has to take care of that family member. But that meant that I now have to do 40 onboarding calls with, um, with speakers cool. uh, over the next couple of weeks. And that's just the reality of things that are you know, going, I'm going to have to basically throw out the vast majority of the things that I wanted to do over the next two weeks and do that task. But that also reinforces what other things do, which is great, is a studying of, uh, for the running remote book that were, can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can. Okay. So I'll just start back again. <clears throat> so inside of remote teams, the thing that I found the most interesting in studying people for the book, every high every um, position, every new employee inside of the company, we get them to write this document, which is a how to do my job. And it's about a five-page document breaking down everything that you need to do in order to do my job. So I currently don't have the position of CMO of the company. I currently operate the position of CMO of the company. And if I want to, at any point, go and write a book for the past year and a half, I can go and do that and delegate those responsibilities very quickly and easily to the people that are, you know, that, that I can delegate those responsibilities to. So um, that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying it's, it is, there is a lot of work to be done, obviously inside of um, these businesses, but if you can't delegate those types of responsibilities and move them around, then you're generally going to be left with uh, your pants down. And I, and it's funny because the operations person leaving is a perfect example of me not paying attention to my own rule, which is I have been caught with my pants down. I now have to do 40 onboarding interviews uh, in the next two weeks, which is going to be pretty stressful, uh, but we'll see how I deal with it. Mm, got it. And uh, is, is the book about, you know, the, 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 you know, the best way to operate for an employee? Uh, or for an employee? Yeah. So, I mean, the book was... I was so frustrated with people that were saying, uh, should we use Slack or should we use Microsoft Teams? Should we yeah. use Zoom or should we use Google Meet? If you're asking those questions, you don't actually know what answers you should be looking for, which is even scarier. So inside of you know marketing, there are three different types of people. There are people that know they have a problem and they know that you're the solution to that problem. There are people that know they have a problem, but don't know that you're the solution to that problem. And then there's the third category, which is the largest. They have a problem, but they don't know what that problem is yet. And so I think the vast majority of remote teams are in that third category. They're like, oh, should we be using Slack or Microsoft Teams? We should be on Zoom like eight hours a day, right? That's the right decision, isn't it? Because that's what we were doing in the office. No. That's not what you should be doing. There was a 
massive playbook that was built before the pandemic uh, from these remote pioneers that have been doing it for a decade. And I call it asynchronous management. The book's called Running Remote. And we specifically focus on how to manage a business without necessarily interacting with anyone synchronously inside of that business. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use livecellmastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. And, you know, according to your, according to your you know, how, how many hours do people actually work productively? You know, they, they say that they go to work eight hours or 10 or 15 hours a day. Uh, it's about know, four what? and a half hours. <laughs> so people work about four and a half hours a day. Uh, you don't need to any more time outside of that. Hmm. And what I mean by work is deep work. So I've done about eight hours of podcasts today okay. with various people. It's work, but it's more kind of me going through the motions of things that I've already said 373 times, mm. as opposed to saying, okay, first party attribution is not really working inside of our business anymore. How do we actually figure out other ways to be able to document what our, you know, our paid ad ROAS is? That's what I'm talking about when I'm thinking about work, the real kind of mental energy that you've got to put into a problem. Um, that's the stuff that is about four and a half hours a day. Um, all the other stuff that you do around work is effectively just BS. It's like, oh, we're going to have a meeting. That's not really work. That's you sitting in a meeting and probably <laughs> thinking about the actual meeting 10% of the time. Hmm. Uh, that's, uh, that's you, you know, having lunch with coworkers and being like, oh, maybe we should do this for our business and that kind of thing, which is you know, useful. Um, but I would much rather have people optimize towards deep work. Another kind of theoretical philosophy, uh, a philosophical touchstone of the remote work community is a book by Cal Newport called Deep Work, which yeah. is the concept that every single person should have everything at their disposal to be able to solve difficult problems. And inside of remote companies, if you have more people or any company, actually, uh, if you have more people that can solve those difficult problems inside of an organization, then you'll end up having a faster moving organization. And that's really what a corporation is at the end of the day. Can you solve difficult problems? Can you innovate faster than any of your competitors? You win. doesn't matter if you pour concrete or if you're building an AI. If you can solve those problems faster than your competitors, you win. Remote teams have more people in deep work, undoubtedly, because they recognize that synchronous work generally is a pretty big waste of everyone's time. Mm, interesting. And which, which country works the hardest? Uh, that actually would be, I looked it up before and it changes, you know, year on year. But the last time that I really looked at the data, which I think was 2019, uh, the the laziest country was um, was uh, Saudi Arabia. They worked okay. about 16 hours per day, but it would make sense when you think about the type of environment in Saudi, because there's lots of people that have lots of money, but don't necessarily have to work oh, okay. for that money. And I think the hardest working country 
was either China or the Philippines, if I remember correctly. Uh, China, it would make sense because they only have um, Sundays off. So it's a six day work week yeah. in China. So they have just more work weeks per hour to be able to deploy. But the other thing that's quite interesting is when you look at their overall output, the correlation makes no sense. Uh, Japan, as an example, has one of the longest work weeks in the world and their GDP per capita uh, per hour of worked time is about half of what it is in the United States. And the United States, I think, works about half the time as Japan. So an average Japanese worker works twice as long as an American worker, but the GDP per hour in the United States is twice as long as it is in Japan or twice oh. as big as it is in Japan. So it's a really interesting problem, which is like the amount of work you put into something does not actually produce the same result. And in reality, actually, the longer you put work into something, the more of a diminished return you get for every extra hour that you work. Hmm. Interesting. So you want to think about that very closely, which is if you could get four and a half hours of productive time out of people, I actually would suggest to people have them work from like 12 to five. Yeah. And you will get, I could guarantee you to get the same output or have them not work on Fridays. I personally think that actually the, the no work on Friday thing, um, I don't think that's a good idea. I think you should actually distribute your work more equally. So I also work sometimes on Saturdays because I really like my work, but I'm solving difficult problems every single day and I'm just working less on a daily basis. Mm, interesting. It, it also really reinforces for me, like work however you want, whenever you want, just get the work done. Like that's, that's what we're all supposed to do, right? Uh, yeah. Make more, solve difficult problems faster than your competitors. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I, I think the, the nine to five culture, if I'm not wrong, was built by Henry Ford. Uh, I don't know if, you, you know, nobody would have thought remote work, work is going to, you know, be, be, be so evident across the, across the world. But do you think? Uh, it was I, not necessarily due to Henry Ford. Uh, it was it? actually due to the Industrial Revolution. And here's uh -huh. why. The, uh, it was very expensive for electric lighting. So there were lots of factory floors that still didn't operate off of electric lighting. So nine to five were, were the hours in which you'd get enough sunlight inside of the factory to be able to work. And that's why it was a nine to five, as opposed to uh, once you had electric lighting, that problem kind of just solved itself and it just, it just stuck. But it is a pretty stupid number to choose. Why not 10 to six? Why not, you know? Um, why not three o'clock in the morning till 9am? There are engineers, as an example, even on our own team that really prefer to work at night because okay. they're more productive then. I don't care. Um, just get the work done, please. And yeah. hopefully get it done faster than our competitors. Mm, interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I come from the sales and business development background. Uh, how would I measure the, the sales team performance on the base of productivity? Because, you know, the number of sales calls you're doing uh, does not always translate to the kind of output we would want, but, but any, any, uh, any references? Yeah. For so I would, um, if you're using something like Salesforce or HubSpot, I would yeah. do your API integration inside of Time Doctor, analyze the amount of time put in and what activities you were doing okay. inside of your workday. And then you'd be able to compare that to the mean. So um, how, what ratio of your workday 
is spent on doing calls, as an example, or doing demos with clients. You'd be able to see that as a ratio. And then inside of Time Doctor, we have a lot of machine learning um, based off of the thousands and thousands of other salespeople that we have using the technology every day to be able to point out where you're having problems or where you're actually a top performer um, inside of the organization. So just simply doing the API integration, I mean, it's a, it's a quantitative longitudinal metric of success or failure. And just optimizing for that is, uh, is really good. There's another tool called um, gong.io, which yeah. I, I really like. It uses the same kind of machine learning to be able to identify what a successful demo looks like and what an unsuccessful demo looks like. And it will even tell you things like, well, if you're not doing, if your client is doing less than 60% of the talking, you're not going to close stuff like that, which I think is really interesting to be able to take a look at. And the data is pretty clear that um, a lot of this stuff works. So I actually th see the future of sales as you're on a Zoom call and you'd have like a, a little, a little uh, meter showing the chance of closing that deal as you're having the conversation with the client. Mm, interesting. I, I would love to, you know, buy that product <laughs> just to, just to, Get to understand and gorge. Closest uh, one is is Gong.io, um, uh, but it does it after the fact. I would love something live, mm -hmm. and I would even love some type of an assistant to be able to say, "You didn't mention this," yeah. <laughs> which every single you know, which ninety percent of your successful closes, your client asks this question yeah. as an example. Like pulling those data points out, I think is is really good, and we do it from a low level on Time Doctor. So um, I would start there, but even Gong is a really good next step. Yeah, I, I think I need to sign up on Gong and, uh, and check and see you know, how, the, how the demo goes. Uh, but I quickly want to go to the top three. What's your, what's your favorite business book? Zero to One by Peter Thiel. Yeah, I absolutely love the book. And if you, know, if you could go back in time when you started your businesses, what is one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? I would have not done the business at all and I would have bought a lot of Bitcoin. <laughs> And uh, do you have any favorite online tools, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Gong.io, which I just <laughs> mentioned. Other than Time Doctor, Gong.io is really good. And um, ChartMogul. I mean, they have been putting in so many extra features into their product. And I love all the API integrations that they're doing so that we can tie all these other apps in. It really is now like our central RevOps panel. Um even outside of something like HubSpot, which we use as our CRM. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, Liam, uh, what is the best way people can reach out to you, uh, reach out to you and know more about your book, uh, which is coming on August 16th, uh, Running Remote? Uh, just go to runningremote.com. That's where all of our information is about the conference and the book. And then if you want to learn more about me, uh, go to youtube.com slash runningremote. That's our YouTube channel. We have a ton of free videos there, and we also post all of our talks up there for free. So um, if you can't afford a ticket to the conference or a book, you can always just go to the YouTube channel and consume the information there. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Liam, thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.